The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 82.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode. Now, I know you guys were excited to hear Mike Zapsick from Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash on the podcast. Yes, he of comic book men fame. Such great stories. So excited to hear that it actually played a part in his romance with his wife. Uh, again, you don't hear that often in the world of comics. So that is very, very cool. You know, we're going to reach out to some of the other comic book men as well and see if we can't get them on the show and get their takes on the world of 90s comics and Wizard Magazine in the future. But in the meantime, there was a lot of stuff to get to. When you have a special guest, you want to kind of give them the spotlight. You don't want to hamper them down with all the tidy, tidy details. But that's what Wizards Half is all about. So we're going to first check out here the Bunny Award in the Magic Words section for this issue. The reason I wanted to get into this here is this is you know kind of the inside jokes of wizard magazine the things that carry on sometimes you wonder okay what was the origin of that what caused that and so here we have a guy saying dear mr wizard i'm the guy who coined the now famous saying i like pie in a letter back in wizard number 70 and now you rip it off my material i tell you that i like pie and now everybody from frank miller to jeff loeb likes pie too what's going on here greg simons cincinnati ohio so for those of you who don't don't recall this. Basically, Wizard started putting a word balloon on Frank Miller, especially, but a lot of different comic book creators they would feature in the magazine. It would just say, I like pie. <laughs> no explanation, no context. And now we know where that was coming from. Jim McLaughlin fesses up to it, though. What's going on here? It's very simple. Everybody likes pie. Everybody. But let us give credit where credit is due. Greg is indeed the man who introduced us to the wonders of our new and only mildly annoying catchphrase. As such, he should be lauded and a laurel wreath placed upon his brow. May he be hip deep in pie forever! I also wonder about this time I know The Rock on your WWE uh, was doing his do you like pie? And he was always talking about pie and poontang pie and all of that. So I'm wondering if this was all a convergence of pie and pop culture. Uh, anyway, let's move on to our main segment, though, that we always like to kick off the episodes with. Yep, it's time for Caps Cookie Contests. Our first contest here features the smiling face of Garib Sheamus. This is the Wizard Entertainment Presents Win a Trip to Wizard World Chicago contest. I do love in this picture though, so Garib is wearing like a baseball jersey type thing, but there's this trio of geeks, I mean, definitely, you know, behind him, that are walking. They have a poster at hand. One of them seems to have, like, some type of special edition action figure. But one of the guys is wearing a Tick t-shirt. Like, it's totally blue. It's just a giant Tick head on his uh, shirt. So that's kind of awesome. Alright, here's what they say. Got a suitcase? We'll get packing. All you have to do is fill out the below entry form and mail it in. We'll pick one lucky winner, 18 years or older, at random, and send him off on a trip of a lifetime. Grand prize. A round trip vacation to the biggest bag. 
baddest and loudest convention on Earth, the Wizard World Chicago Con. That's three days and two nights of being chin deep in comics, toys, games, celebrity guests, spokesmodels, convention food. It's like going to fanboy heaven without the dying part. And we'll throw in $200 of whiz bucks, which can be used as actual money inside the con. Oh man, whiz bucks. That just sounds like Disney dollars. That sounds like Jeffrey dollars from Toys R Us. You know, at some point they are no longer valid. I do like the pictures here they're showing here because you have Pat McCallum spinning the wheel of doom here, you know, and he's actually got Amigo Spidey attached to the top looking over the proceedings. Then there is a line of fans at a table trying to meet some celebrity guest, but you can't tell who it is because the picture is taken from the very far end of the table. So that just kind of cracks me up. It's like, is it Billy Tucci? Is it Todd McFarlane? We'll never know. And there's also a picture of a, you know, spokesmodel guy in a Wolverine costume next to a little girl who has a Walt Disney World t-shirt on, but she's holding up some type of documentation. And I get, oh, no, I think those are whiz bucks because I can just barely make out a little face in the middle. And I think that's Garib Sheamus. She was promoting whiz bucks. <laughs> All right, speaking of this contest, though, I think it's worth mentioning Wizard was really heavily promoting Wizard World Chicago in the magazine. And so let's talk a little bit about what they're promising at this point. So there is an ad here that says Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel are going to be there. There's an asterisk next to it. I was like, subject to change? What are they trying to say there? It says they're new to Chicago in 98, just meaning they weren't there last year promoting Nightwing, I guess. But Alex Ross is also promised to be there as well. Now, the other thing it says here, advanced ticket orders will receive a cliffhanger number zero exclusive variant comic book with art by J. Scott Campbell, Joe Matarera, and Umberto Ramos, and early VIP admission to the show before the doors open to the general public. Saturday and Sunday only. But now, as far as what it was costing the fans to get in here, adults were $20 for one day, a three-day pass was $40, but children 10 and under were free. That's right. Gotta build up those new comic fans and future wizard readers right now let's check out the rest of the wizard world stuff here they're promoting because it's various ads all throughout so there they're calling it the most spectacular con event ever just added frank frazetta fantasy illustrated presents a special wizard world variant of the joe Matarera cover i don't understand why frank frazetta did he have his own magazine and joe mad did a cover for that because we're seeing battle chasers behind this text so that's weird. Mike Turner, J. Scott Campbell, Billy Tucci, Joe Matarera, and Alberto Ramos all are shown there. We see Billy Tucci's going to be premiering his Battle Books concept. All right. Now, next up here, they're saying Will Sportacio unveils his new Avalon comic book, Stone. Now, this is something that we hadn't really even discussed on the podcast yet. I'm sure we'll get into it. There's bound to be an interview. I know there's a little news blurb, but basically, Will Sportacio was finally launching his own imprint. A little bit late there. A little bit late there, Wills, just saying. And the stone thing looks like it belongs in the early 90s, but I'm sure we'll get into it on a later episode. Brian Polito was also going to be there. Rob Liefeld and Bot premiering 
Rejects uh, from Awesome Entertainment. Now also, everyone is coming, so now they're telling us again. Michael Turner. They're just hitting on Mike Turner all over the place. Mark Silvestri, Joseph Linzer, Stephen Hughes, John Romita Jr., Randy Queen, Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti, Mike Allred, David Mack. Additional guests, Joe Benitez, Rod Gardy, Brian Haberlin, Adam Kubert, Jeff Loeb, Nelson. Wow, they're still pushing Nelson. Mark Wade, Joe Weebs, Mike Waringo, and many more to be announced. As far as some celebrities, the only ones they're pointing to at this point are Claudia Christian and Walter Koenig for Babylon 5. I know they upped their game in later years, but that, wow, they were, they were not aiming too high. Of course, the 1998 guest of honor was Todd McFarlane. We have Adam Kubert is going to be there, Matt Wagner, Joe Jusko, Clayburn Moore, Jeff Smith, Amanda Connor, Tony Daniel, and Christina Z. I will mention, speaking of Christina Z and Witchblade, we have an episode of of the Wizard Files coming up, and we are going to be talking to David Wool. Uh, if somebody has a connection to Christina Z in the meantime, and we can get them both on, all the better. But we're going to get into all the behind-the-scenes details about the creation of Witchblade, what made it the hot book that it was, and we'll see what David has to say about that. Now, as we close out, we do have to check out our context. Get it? says here, contest over to anyone 18 years and older. Sorry, no employees of Wizard Entertainment or their immediate families are eligible to win. Neither is anyone who'd use the $200 of Wizbucks to buy Valiant back issues. You got problems, buddy. Hey! I was actually buying a lot of Valiant back issues at this time. This, in 1998, is right when I started saying, hey, I remember Valiant, and finding the quarter bins and saying, oh, I want to read about this, and then I'm like, Exo Wars the best! Alright, anyway, next one here here says all taxes federal state and local if any will be the responsibility of the prize winners just wait till you get your first bite of a convention hot dog ever seen that episode of the simpsons where lisa drinks the water in the it's a small world type boat ride they have that kind of effect on you <laughs> they had a lot of extra room here since this is one of their contests oh gotta love a simpsons reference all right let's get on to the next contest here Oh, we just heard about it being promoted at Wizard World. Now we have Awesome Entertainment Presents. Join the Rejects. Grand prize. The big winner will have his name appear in an issue of Rejects, Rob Liefeld's new project, which combines elements of myth, magic, and science. And we'll get a copy of that issue signed by Liefeld. We'll also load the winner down with our fun stuff. A Liefeld signed copy of the Rejects Wizard World Chicago exclusive comic, the Genie action figure, the Genie Wizard World Chicago exclusive action figure, a copy of the Youngblood video game for the PC, and a one-year subscription to all the awesome titles. Oh my goodness! Okay, I'm sure they could deliver on the action figures, but there is a problem with a Youngblood video game that I'm almost certain never came out, and the awesome titles, a one-year subscription, which in this issue, we are being told that all of those titles were being cancelled except for three. Ah, oh, poor planning, poor planning, wizard. Uh, second prize, 25 almost as lucky readers. Each will win a Life Outside copy of Rejects, a Life Outside copy of the Rejects Wizard World Chicago exclusive comic, the GD action figure, and the GD Wizard World Chicago exclusive action figure. Yeah, so you were in much better shape if you were a second prize winner. Now, how do you get your grubby little paws on this stuff? Simple. Just tell us in 50 words or less what you think constitutes the worst superhero? What type of attributes would a really bad hero have? Maybe he's a flamethrowing midget, or a mutant with the power to transform into a wizard editor. Whatever. Send in your description with a completed entry form and we'll pick the most creative as the winners. Get cracking. Wow. Okay. 
Let's read into this. I think we're meant to read into this. The way to win a contest sponsored by Rob Liefeld is to write what you think constitutes the worst superhero, which in many cases would be a Rob Liefeld creation. In fact, I read Rejects. It wasn't hard, because there was only a zero issue and a number one issue, and then the characters kind of premiered in another awesome comic, The Coven. But here's the thing. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't like it. And in fact, I was upset that Rob was up to his old tricks. His main male protagonist is this guy named Scarab, and he is just Wolverine mixed with Nick Fury. Or if you just even wanted to say, oh, well, it's Wolverine as Patch, you know, from his miniseries, but he's got a goatee. Like, that's 100% all that's going on here with this guy. And then you look at this genie character, and isn't she just, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, she looks like Ileana Rasputin. She just looks like Red Sonia meets Ileana Rasputin magic, you know, from New Mutants and all of that. So I was really disappointed in Rob. It's like, you got this new fresh start at Awesome Entertainment, and this is what you came up with. And the whole thing is just like, oh, Scarab has a crush on Jeannie, even though she can't quite remember who she is. And apparently, I think she's some type of angel is what was being teased to be revealed. Now, also, at a certain point, there is a promotion for another issue of Rejects, and it's going to have Thor. Yes, Thor is going to be in Rejects, but of course, he's just a mythological figure. You can pull him out of anywhere. Marvel certainly did. So, I mean, just the audacity of Rob Liefeld really just like, let me just push against Marvel one more time and see how that works out. So anyway, let's check out the obey this law legal text. All right. Says here, contest open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, awesome entertainment, their immediate families, and whoever doesn't like really, really big guns. Come on. They make bigger holes. Okay, again, another Rob reference, I think, there. Uh, now let's check out here. Odds of winning will be determined by the number of valid entries received prior to the closing date of the contest. Too much red meat in your diet will kill ya. That's all you need to know. They're, they just want to give you some tips for healthy living. <laughs> Anybody who's spending too much time reading the text, they're like, hmm, you probably got some other issues as well. Okay, before we jump out of the awesome entertainment pool, I do have to mention that in the pick section, Youngblood number four is solicited. But as you might be aware, Youngblood only made it two issues of this awesome entertainment relaunch of it. So in case you were wondering what was Youngblood four going to contain, here's what they had to say. Young Blood only sounds like the name of a really bad porno tape. In reality, it's the name of a nifty little superhero team. A team with members like Shaft, Johnny Panic, Twilight, Doc Rocket, Big Brother, and Suprema. In this ish, Team Youngblood travels back in time to the Old West, where they'll most certainly have no trouble with the villains of the day. But when Awesome's Wild West heroes jump to the present and fight today's upwardly mobile high-tech super scum, it's gonna be like Pauly Shore versus Mike Tyson. Okay, so that's really interesting because if you've ever listened to Robservations, Rob Liefeld's podcast. I have not listened for like a year because it got so repetitive, but I do remember when he did his Wild West comics thing and he loved the Wild West comics, especially from Marvel and when they crossed over with the Avengers, which he also loved. So once again, there it is. There's your reference point. He's the, oh, I'll take my team and have them meet up with these Wild West characters that are just being created. I mean, maybe this is an Alan Moore thing as well, but it feels like very influenced by Rob. They're like, hey, Alan, what if we did this? So anyway, there you go. The lost issue of Youngblood. All right, 
now getting to our last contest here, Marvel Entertainment presents a Captain America for all countries. Since 1941, Captain America has defended the good old US of A from the forces of evil. But what about the other countries of the world? They don't have a protector like our super soldier. Not until now, that is. Grand prize. One super soldier wins a drawing of his winning entry by Captain America artist extraordinaire Ron Garney. Plus, he'll win Ron Garney signed copies of Captain America Volume 3, numbers 1 through 4, a Garney signed Captain America Man Without a Country trade paperback, a Cap t-shirt, a Cap poster, and a Cap vinyl figure. First prize, each of these two heroes wins a Captain America Volume 3, number 1 signed by Ron Garney, a Garney signed Man Without a Country trade paperback, a Cap t-shirt, a Cap poster, and a Cap vinyl figure, and second prize, each of these five soldiers walks away with a Cap t-shirt and a cool Cap poster. So how do you win all the loot? Draw the Captain as you would look if he was the protector of another country. As you know, Cap's costume features the stars and stripes of the United States of America. So use the flags and national icons of the other nations to draw a costume. Here's your opportunity to use those encyclopedias that have been sitting around collecting dust for years. Put together a Captain Japan, Captain Ireland, heck, just what would a Captain Trinidad or Tobago look like? While we'll be looking for entries with the most artistic skill, entries will also be chosen based on originality and humor. I mean, it just feels like if anybody did Captain France and made him look terrible, at this time, with all the running gags about France, Wizard would have 100% just made that the winner. <laughs> that was our shielded text. There's only one joke here, and it says, Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. What do you get when you cross cap with the Hulk? A star-spangled banner! Ha ha ha! Anyway, yeah. So I actually think as far as, you know, comic book based pun jokes go, that one's pretty solid. I mean, it fires on all cylinders. Now, this is obviously part of their continuing plan to get submissions from their contests that they could be part of the drawing board section. And they had a previous contest where they wanted people to say, what if another Marvel hero was exposed to gamma radiation and they became a Hulk, essentially. And so instead of Omega Red, they have Omega Mega Green, which is fun. Human Torch and Hulk, which is a Hulk, a Hulk, a burn in love, which is pretty hilarious. There's Rhino Hulk, which is just kind of like, eh, okay, he was already big to begin with. Iraq Hulk is interesting because I actually just picked up an issue in a back issue bin of Spider-Man being gamma irradiated, turning into Spider-Hulk, but this one is a much more lithe Hulk, and he's basically got like tatters of the Spider-Man costume and the mask on him, but he's very, you know, sleek. Uh, not a bulky hulky. There's also Ultra Juggernaut, which basically just looks like Pit or some very early 90s bulky character, maybe in a McFarlane comic because he's got a ton of giant guns stuck to his back. Howard the Hulk is pretty fantastic. Yes, Howard the Duck and the Hulk. But again, very just kind of skinny classic superhero physique, not a very bulky Howard. Project Gamma. I'm trying to figure out if this is supposed to be Alpha Flight or if this is supposed to be, I mean, it looks like the Fantastic four that got irradiated instead like it's kind of hard to tell who they're trying to represent here now finally we have the incredible x-men and this one oh my goodness like you have wolverine who is like bulked out beyond belief you have angel who's just like okay his skin is now green instead of blue like when he was archangel but then you have storm and she just has like this giant torso and her hair is now green so i guess polaris 
Polaris. She's borrowing Polaris's look. But then she's just got like these tiny little arms that get smaller and smaller. T-Rex arms and a lot of, you know, shorter bodybuilder type guys end up with. So that was pretty funny. We'll post all these to social media so you can check them out. But yeah, that does it for Cap's Kooky Contest here. Let's check out another feature that we missed on the main episode. This is Last Man Standing. That's right. So this is only their second time around with Last Man Standing, and they decided to go with Batman versus Daredevil, and it is being illustrated by Graham Nolan. Here's the thing, though. They already did Batman versus Daredevil in one of their Last Man Standing articles, so this is kind of lazy to just bust this out again, because they already gave their thoughts. I mean, last time you had Hulk versus Doomsday. That's cool. This one is just kind of old hat, but here's what they say. Batman, the Dark Knight Detective, Daredevil, the man without fear. They're two men who had their lives shaped early on by the murder of their parents, or parents in DD's case, and became vigilantes to make sure that what happened to them wouldn't happen to anyone else. Both reveal only their chins in their one-color jammies, rely on gadgets to get them out of tight spots. Bats has his high-tech vehicles and utility belt. DD has a stick with a rope in it, and are masters of a multitude of diverse fighting styles. The biggest difference between these two? Daredevil's as blind as a <clears throat> bat. So instead of eyesight, DD's five senses are pumped to an inhuman level, where he can hear a person's heart skip a beat when he or she lies, can read the inked indentations on paper with his fingertips, and has a nifty radar-like sense that allows him to see a full 360 degrees around his body. Batman? No superpowers, just the keenest, most analytical mind in the DC or any universe. The winner? The faster, more agile Daredevil may be on the offensive at first, but he doesn't stand a chance against Batman's most powerful weapon, his brain. After a few minutes of combat, Batman's going to deduce the DD's blind, a barrage of sonic blasts, heat flares, and a handful of batterings to drive that radar sense crazy, and a senses overwhelmed Daredevil falls to blows landed with surgical precision by the Dark Knight detective. So, yeah. Yeah, again, that's 100% just what they said the first time. So, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed in Wizard for this. And we'll see what comes up in the next issue. But, yeah, that's that's kind of lame. Speaking of things that we didn't have time to cover, right after Last Man Standing, there was this article called Behind the Eight Ball, which is an interview with Dan Close, Klaus, the guy who wrote Eight Ball comics, among other things, who was definitely a name that you would hear all the time when you're talking about, you know, indie comics, whatever they were. Uh, it's kind of falls into that, you know, whole like hate and all those other different comics where I'm just like, I'm not interested in this. And in fact, reading this interview made me realize, oh, he's just like a miserable guy who he expresses himself through comics. And I guess it's kind of like the same reason I don't necessarily enjoy American Splendor. It's just like, these are guys I would never want to have a conversation with. Why do I want to read their comics, you know? But he was famous, of course, at this time for having written Ghost World, which was then being turned into a movie. So I guess that's kind of his biggest claim to fame outside of the world of comics. But I'd be curious to hear your take on his comics output. And I'm sure, you know, Tom Palmer Jr. would... Oh, you know what? You know we were talking about all the big changes in Wizard? We did not mention the fact that Palmer's Picks is no longer in Wizard Magazine. It ended. How far back did it end? I gotta go look this up real quick. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah! 
All right, so I just went back digging through the archives. I can't believe we missed this. This is now I know it's never been our focus on the podcast. I don't know how many of you were really wanting us to report on the indie comics and Palmer's picks, but I went back here and it was October 1997's issue number 74 was the final Palmer's picks. And he was reviewing a book called Skeleton Key, but he actually had a full sidebar saying farewell. Let's read this. To all good things. Well, folks, this is it. The last Palmer's Picks. It's been 68 issues in almost six years, making this the longest continuously running column in Wizard, as a matter of fact, for me, and it's time to move on. There's a bunch of reasons I'm leaving that are too boring to get into, but one of the main ones is the increased small press coverage of the rest of Wizard. In case you hadn't noticed, a lot more small press books like Strangers in Paradise, Hepcats, and Box Office Poison have been popping up regularly in full-length articles and other parts of the magazine, and they'll continue to do so. The reason? There's a lot of damn fine comics out there that deserve more attention than the two pages I could offer here in Wizard. Of course, it wouldn't be a proper sign-off without a bunch of thank yous. It's been an outright joy to work with the kooky gang here at Wizard. For some reason, they let me stay, and I can't thank them enough for that. I also have to thank the numerous cartoonists I've interviewed over the years. Your work has inspired me, and I want to thank you for allowing me to spotlight your comics, even though some of you probably thought talking to a mainstream mag would ruin your rep. I can't forget to mention my friends and family. You know who you are. And my legion of bitter enemies. I also want to give a shout out to all the people who read what I wrote and maybe took a chance on a new small press comic. Without you guys, there would probably be a lot fewer quality comics out there. Just in case you need some reading material for the next few weeks, check out all these comics. Bill Willingham's Coventry, Mark Hempel's Tug and Buster, Debbie Dreschler's Nowhere, Joe Matt's Peep Show, Xander Cannon's Replacement God and other stories, Jessica Abel's Art Babe, Jason Lutizzi's Lutizzi's Berlin, Charles Vess's The Book of Ballads and Sagas, Dylan Herrick's Pickle, anything by Joe Sacco and Ivan Brunetti's Schizo. Woo! Thank you and good night. Tom. So yes, apologies to Tom Palmer Jr. Uh, we've had him on the Wizard Files. He told us in his own words about the demise of the column. I mean, he had moved on to Toy Fair at this point, so he was very involved over there. But it was interesting that they couldn't have just had him hang on for six or seven more issues as they were getting ready for their big revamp of the magazine overall. So just kind of with a whisper, I mean, to the point where we didn't even notice and I'm flipping through, you know, every issue of the magazine, get ready for the shows. So anyway, there you go. Oh, what a surprise, huh? All right, but what's not a surprise is that it's time that we talk about some of the most popular characters in comics. That's right, it's time for the top 10 heroes and villains list. What zingers do you have for us today, wizard? Well, in the number one spot is Witchblade, they say. Justification? You want justification as to why Witchy Poo is the most popular comic chica on the four-color racks? We'll give you justification. Witchblade appears in the old one-hole for a number of reasons. She's the star of her own hyper-successful series, that'd be Witchblade Einstein, the inspiration for a second popular spin-off title, Tales of the Witchblade, and is the character that propelled a real guy, penciler Michael Turner, to stardom. And if that wasn't enough for you, rumor has it she's a great kisser and scored over 1,500 on her SATs. How's that for reasons? Uh, speaking of which, 
which uh, this week, because Witchblade's been so popular for so long in the magazine, and they often were referencing the Witchblade Medieval Spawn crossover, I finally read it this week, and I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a, a real fun, just mini-series. I think Garth Ennis starts out writing it, but then it passes to other hands. It was kind of interesting how that went, but I didn't feel a major change throughout. I just thought it was a real great way to kind of build synergy, you know, because they were introducing not only, like, the origin of the darkness, well, not the whole origin, but an earlier incarnation of it, right? And then they're talking about, oh, there's this character who now is going to be a part of the Arcanum with Brandon Peterson, although that didn't last long at Top Cow. And plus, you know, you're getting a new bearer of the Witchblade named Katarina, who I thought was actually really cool. I liked her. Sarah just never quite has captured my attention, but I thought Katarina had a a real interesting attitude because they're just like, she's just like a brawler. She's just picking bar fights all the time. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on to our number two spot here with Spawn. And you have Spawn kind of maskless looking up and he's got all these worms kind of around his head and they say, oh yeah, love them worms. Darn tasty and high in protein too, don't you know? But why Spawn would choose such a low rent diet when he's got money to burn is beyond us. Don't think he's got the long green? Oh, please. Don't be fooled by this. I live in an alley with a bunch of bums act. Spawn's practically Fortune 500 material. Jeez, the guy's got a movie, a TV show, and nine nine friggin' series of toys, all of which carry his name to his credit. He should be living in a mansion, not an alley. Ross Perot, move over. Yeah, I mean, Spawn was marketed to death, that's for sure. Number three, Wolverine. Wizards, little known facts of comics, volume 53. Wolverine's hair, all his hair, that is, weighs 47 pounds. No kidding. You can look it up in any of the Marvel Universe handbooks if you want, or you can just check out this picture. Wolverine is one of the most popular characters in all of comicdom, except to one person, his plumber. That poor bastard, his name's Lenny, has to buy Drano and 55-gallon drums just to keep up with the sig clogs at the X-Mansion. As far as Lenny is concerned, the only good Wolverine is a shaved Wolverine. Ah, we needed a backup story with Lenny the plumber, don't you think? All right, number four is Hulk. Boy, the Hulk sure can hit them high notes. His mouth is just wide open. Belts out quite a tune. Puts Fiona Apple to shame. Oh, there's a 90s reference for you. Anywho, Hulky's so damn big, literally and figuratively, these days, that no way one puny title can contain Massive Hulk. So Hulk smash into second title. Yep, starting in June, the Rampaging Hulk, a new monthly feature... The good old Hulk smash bouncing round the Southwest being chased by Thunderbolt Ross torn up purple pants Hulk hits shelves. Why? Because hot damn it, there's still a call for a savage brutality in comics today, and no one belts that out like the Hulk. Alright, number five is Deadpool. Hey, now there's some nice protective headgear. See, he's wearing a turtle on his head. Memo to the NFL. Get rid of those helmets. Stock up on turtles. Looks like Deadpool, Mary Marvel's motormouth mercenary, adds another crime to his rap sheet. Cruelty to animals. Not that it'll really hurt him any. Fans love the smart-ass attitude Deadpool sports and the hilarious hijinks found in his book. Where else can you see the Great Lakes Avengers? Now the lightning rods. Deuce the Darehound and willful mistreatment of reptiles. Only one place, baby. Deadpool. I love that idea of the Great Lakes Avengers. I'm assuming because of the Thunderbolts named themselves the lightning rods. That's hilarious. I I gotta go and check that out. Alright, number six is the darkness. If meanness were cheese, Jack Jackie Estacado, Darkness Boy, would be up to his armpits and cheddar. He's the president 
as the nasty ass some bitch club. Not only is he a mob hitman, but he's also the possessor of the darkness, which, as the name implies, ain't exactly the most benevolent of superpowers. With his guns and his funky mystic darkness hoodoo, Estacado can bust up his enemies double time, which makes you wonder why he's so darn popular. It's simple, really. Everyone loves a bad boy. Number seven is Batman. Batman would hang upside down to be on this list. Hey, he is hanging upside down. Yep, so they just have him upside down in his little circle there. He also said he'd give us anything we wanted if he could just be on this list, including the Batmobile, a copy of Detective Comics number 400 with Neil Adams' art, a 20% interest in Wayne Enterprises, and what he turned some art photos that Alfred had to pose for when he was poor and in college. What a deal! <laughs> Oh, poor Alfred. I was young. I needed the money. I feel like that's a phrase we never hear anymore. Anyway, number eight is Iron Man. Okay, the Iron Man armor is cool and all, but can it get you chicks? We doubt it. The faceplate is expressionless, never allowing you to make goo-goo eyes at the girlies. Plus, it's hard to strike those GQ model casual cool poses when your joints are armored up. And little Iron Man? He's completely hidden behind the shell of tempered steel. So the armor ain't exactly a chick magnet, but three tons of firepower repulsor rays and boot jets make for a whole different kind of fun. I don't know. You always hear about a man in uniform and knight in shining armor. Seems like there'd be some ladies out there interested in it. The mystery behind the mask. All right, number nine is Jack of the Box. Astro City climbs the charts every month and city visitors seem to go for one hero more than any other. The happy-go-lucky, crazy cool technical genius known as Jack in the Box. And he's pulling off a minor miracle. He's making a clown, a clown, seem cool. That eerie clown makeup getup can scare the hell out of bad guys and still delight the masses at the same time. Not bad for a guy who looks like he should be making balloon animals, huh? And number 10, just to show you how far the mighty had fallen in Wizard's eyes, is Superman. It's about damn time. We've endured dead Superman, four lame-ass imitation Superman, long-haired Superman, I'm engaged but we're breaking it off, oops, we're getting married Superman, electric blue Superman, red Superman and blue Superman, and now we're finally back where we started. Just plain classic Superman. Glory hallelujah. The release of Superman for Forever brings back Big Blue the way fans have always loved him, and we hope the forever part is a promise and not just a title. At least until Nick Cage's Superman hits. Well, it never does hit, so we do just get classic Superman going forward. I mean, I'm wondering, has he had another gimmick since 1998? I mean, did they ever really change him up anymore? That It just feels like a relic of the 90s, you know, to try to do that, if not grim and gritty update at the very least, you know, oh, exciting new direction. So if you know about that Superman fans, you'll have to tell us. In fact, we're going to save that because we're going to be discussing Superman on a Superman special bonus episode coming up soon. So stay tuned for that. But hey, here's a guy who probably could have used an update or one of those Wolverine shaves, we're going to get to our Mort of the Month. Alright, this month's Mort is Shaggy Man. They call me Mr. Bombastic, muy fantastic. Oh wait, wrong Shaggy. Zoinks, break out the Scooby Snacks, Shaggy Man's in the house. Imagine what this thing would smell like if he got wet. 
P.U. Anywho, this walking carpet Bigfoot knockoff is the synthetic plastiloid creation of Professor Andrew Zagarain, your typical dumb as a rock DC man scientist of the 60s. Zagarain made Shaggy Man, very creative name choice, Doc, out of plastiloid and charged him up with electricity. Didn't we see this in Frankenstein? Creating a... Oh, mindless brute that attacked anything that moved, except, unfortunately, the dock. Then, the Justice League showed up and kicked its furry ass. So the Mordo meter uh, still has three empty slots here. But yeah, Shaggy Man. I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been Grant Morrison who said he was going to bring him back to fight the JLA, now that I think back. But I remember him being mentioned in this last year of comics news, you know, featured in Wizard, talking about Shaggy Man. And I was just like, who is Shaggy Man? Hey geeks, it's time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor HalloweenCostumes.com and the great selection of costumes available, plus how you could get 15% off your entire order by using the link in our show notes. Now, the clock is ticking and I still haven't decided what I'm going to be for Halloween this year. I was browsing the HalloweenCostumes.com site today. I found out they have a full-on Peacemaker costume. I'm still waiting for a season two announcement on that show. And their Ant-Man costume looks pretty sweet. My wife loves Paul Rudd so I probably could please her with that one. Uh, they also have a plethora of Robin costumes from Burt Ward to 90s animated series Dick Grayson or comics accurate Tim Drake. You can find your flavor of Boy Wonder. Their Shazam movie and comic book costumes are truly impressive as well. For the ladies, they have some fun stuff like they have exclusive She-Hulk and RC from Transformers costumes. They got Powerpuff Girls. They got Jessica Drew Spider-Woman and a Shuri Black Panther costume. If you need couples ideas, I noticed Adam West Batman and Julie Newmore Catwoman costumes that look fantastic. They also have all the Incredibles. If you're looking forward to the new movie, there's a Jason Momoa Aquaman and Mira costume combo you can do. Of course, there's so much more to choose from, including cartoon and movie icons, video game heroes, and more. So I can't make up my mind. I'm sure you will be more decisive than me. Just follow the link in our show notes today to get 15% off your entire order at Halloween costumes.com between now and October 31st. And hey, let's get back to the show. It's time to do something we haven't done in a while. Yeah, we're going to call into the Gen 13 line. All right, so in this issue, there is a mention of something that's actually been teased in previous issues as well, but it says, Adam's monkeys around with Gen 13. This June and July, Gen 13 Generation X artist Art Adams returns to Gen 13, but this time he's bringing along friends. Adams promised Wildstorm Productions that he would do more Gen 13 projects, but only on one condition. Quote, I told them that the only way I'd do more is if we put my monkey man and O'Brien in it, Adams explained. They said, hey, no problem. Adams will get his chance to write draw the two-issue miniseries titled Gen 13, Monkey Man, and O'Brien, slated for June and July. Adam's creations meet Gen 13 because Gen 13 mentor Lynch knew Anne O'Brien's father, Adam said. Quote, someone gets in contact with Lynch with news that O'Brien would be interested in, so he has to go see her. In the story, the heroes face off against themselves? 
It sounds odd, I know, he said, but the villains are themselves. So this is going to be really interesting here because I have been holding on to copies of Monkey Man and O'Brien meet Gen 13 for quite a while. I have like multiple variant covers. They were in a back issue bin that I found way back when. I was just like, they're cheap. Let me grab these. And I'm finally going to read them. I've been holding off. So let's uh, find out my thoughts on this thing. So first things first, what I really have to point out is that in the very first panel on the very first first page, there is actually a cameo from Dr. Forrester and TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater 3000. And so it is pretty hilarious that they are the first people to actually get some dialogue. It seems like Art Adams was a big Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan, so that's awesome. Now, as far as what's going on in this book, initially just Lynch is taking the Gen 13 team to see Monkey Man and O'Brien at their lab. I always forget how gigantic Anne O'Brien is, like a literal giant. You know, I always think, oh, well, she's tall like Fairchild. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, she's much taller, much larger than Fairchild. But the strange thing about this is when they start explaining, okay, why do we need to meet up? Why did I bring you here? So Lynch says he has this cybernetic eye and he's able to record things. And now he just found out that he's able actually to receive transmissions as well. So he receives this transmission from this guy that uh, was part of a previous story in Gen 13 Bootleg 1 and 2. So you really had to know that story to kind of care about this, which I was like, oh, wow. So I didn't realize it was going to be so connected. I thought this would be more of a one-off, one-shot type of miniseries deal. But they actually go in and get this guy who sends a message, and he says that we found Will O'Brien. And Will O'Brien is the missing father scientist of... Of Anne O'Brien. So now, in addition to kind of this follow-up from Gen 13 bootleg, which really is not important at all to the story, the main thing is that Anne O'Brien's like, oh, okay, well, I will help you figure out how to, you know, find this person because there is, you know, some possibility we're going to find my dad. But what happens is they decide that they are in some alternate dimension. So to get there, they're going to go into this essentially transporter. But what it does is it, you know, kind of shakes up your vibrations so that you vibrate on a different plane and sends you through kind of like the flash, right? With the, all that he would do to, to cross through dimensions. But the problem is that they get separated the group. So half of the group goes to the new dimension, half of the group doesn't. But what happens is you don't know that at first because you just see all of them in new costumes and they are in a dark dimension and it is 100% just the Star Trek mirror dimension type thing, right? It's the mirror mirror. They're all evil versions of themselves, but they don't know that yet. They're just so half of them are and half of them are not. So in the new dimension, the dark dimension, you find out, okay, Monkey Man is the evil Monkey Man, so he's who he's supposed to be. Fairchild is an evil Fairchild, and like she makes out with Rainmaker, and then she makes out with Grunge, and she's like punching Roxy, and she's, you know, just like having all this attitude that is not very, very common at all for Caitlin Fairchild, who I've always thought is a very boring 
character. So that really stood out to me. I was like, I think I like evil Fairchild better than the real Fairchild. Just, she's more interesting. Uh, the strange thing is, though, at one point after Fairchild hits Roxy because she thinks she's the evil Roxy talking back to her, evil Fairchild says, get up, you overinflated cow. I'm going to kick your scrawny. Wait a minute. Something's not right. And then she goes, hey, what happened to your chest? And Roxy's like, my chest? What are you talking about, you perv? There's nothing wrong with my chest. Hey, who the hell put this monster-sized bra in my shirt? So, of course, it's Gen 13. There's going to be a lot of breast talk. And so what happens is later on, when they switch back to our reality, evil Roxy apparently, I guess, got a breast augmentation surgery because (laughs) her chest is much bigger. But you only see it for a second. It's not a plot point. But it was just very strange because I was just like, why did they make that a big deal when it really was not a big deal? So yeah, so then in our reality, you have evil grunge, you have evil Roxy, and you have evil Anne O'Brien, but they're in the regular outfits that we're used to seeing the characters in, so they start attacking. Ultimately, though, what happens is they start figuring out, okay, well, we're going to pretend like we're the evil ones. This is the good Anne O'Brien and, you know, Roxy and Grunge and everybody. And so they're just like, okay, let's pretend for a second so that we can figure out what's going on and they don't suspect in this world Anne O'Brien is like this evil despot, you know, who's kind of in charge of everything. They're like, you're supposed to kill the scientist Dr. Lindquist who reached out to Lynch via his eye and said, hey, I need your help. I found Will O'Brien, all this stuff. And then they uh, confront him in a cell who says that he faked the message to Lynch to get them to come over to their dimension to get revenge on the evil Anne O'Brien and the evil Lynch for all they stole from him. And I really don't understand that premise. Like, I, I, I just didn't understand, like, he's banishing them to the other dimension, so that was the punishment he was giving them. Like, it's not a very good revenge plot, if you ask me. <laughs> So the evil Fairchild figures out, okay, these guys are imposters. So she starts attacking them and there's another big battle. Evil Burnout finally shows up, but the final showdown is between Anne O'Brien and evil Fairchild. And so Anne O'Brien ultimately gets her in a full Nelson. And then she's like, stop fighting. I don't want to hurt you. And evil Fairchild says, fine, let go. Then I'll kill you and your friends. And then I'll lead an army to go to your world. And so she basically keeps taunting her, taunting her, and Ed O'Brien snaps and it's a giant, you know, automatopoeia snap type thing going on. And she thinks that she killed Fairchild. She's super heartbroken. And then Evil Lynch comes in, but he basically just says, hey, I want to get you guys out of here. I want everything restored to the way it is. Evil Monkey Man says the same thing. Hey, we don't want to kill you. You just don't belong here. But then all of a sudden, Evil Caitlin is not dead. We, Anne O'Brien says, I have never killed anyone before. You couldn't kill a fly, you scummy skank. <laughs> so, like, Evil Fairchild is actually still alive, but probably her neck's broken, might be paralyzed. They really don't follow up on that. They just get, are going to take her to the infirmary. Evil Lynch and Monkey Man send them back to where they belong and switch places with the evil counterparts again. So, all of that 
basically for nothing. All of that basically to have just an adventure together. But again, this Linguist guy's plan was lame. It was so stupid. And on the very last page, they have like all this exposition. They just lay it all out the last two pages. Like, okay, this is what happened. This is what we realized. Okay, end of story. And I was just so disappointed by that wrap up. I mean, I know you got to do it. You only got two pages, but it is so exposition heavy at the end to say, well, this is what we could have showed you, but we didn't. We just showed you a lot of punching and fighting and a lot of people, you know, switching places. So not a great miniseries, but by the same token, I really did enjoy Evil Fairchild. Like, just the dialogue was super fun. And I really wish they could have... I don't know. It feels like if Fairchild had Roxy's personality, it would have been more interesting. She, Of course, she has the iconic look. She is, you know, the icon of Gen 13. But she's so boring. And Roxy is so much more interesting. There you go. My take on Monkey Man and O'Brien. Wouldn't recommend you read it. Don't think it's necessary. But fun nonetheless. So you got my thoughts on a current comic coming out in 1998, but let's find out what the wizard staffers had to say with Report Card. Yep, so this is the comic book review section, as you'll recall, now called Report Card. This time around, we have Brian Cunningham, Andrew Corden, Greg Orlando, and Mike Searle now contributing their reviews. The first one is JLA Year One, Leagues Above the Rest. What you need to know. Set 10 years ago, this is Justice League of America in its earliest days, struggling to find their own identities. Aquaman, Black Canary, Flash, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter unite to fight a common foe and form DC's greatest team. The good, perfect in its execution, JLA Year One kicks serious butt. The flawless characterizations of the five original leaguers is taken to a new level. Green Lantern, for example, is the cocksure, smart aleck who loves to steal the show. In issue number two, with the rest of the League members floundering in their first press conference, GL steps in, steals the mic, and saves the day. Flash is the reserved, well-meaning hero. That is not a correct... They're doing Flash apostrophe S. Who was the copy editor on this? That is not how you say the Flash is. Wow, that's terrible. Flash is the reserved, well-meaning hero who's so quick and efficient at his civilian job that everyone thinks he's a slacker. Black Canary, in a new twist, is presented as a roadie with a fawning love for superhero history, particularly dealing with JLA's predecessor, the Justice Society of America. The awkward-mannered Aquaman and the detached Martian Manhunter are the quintessential outcast. Amazingly enough, we feel like we know these characters better now than we ever did before. The details in this series are superb. Aquaman is constantly mumbling because he's so used to talking underwater where sound travels better. In issue number two, Flash and GL sign a sea of autographs in seconds. Flash at super speed, GL with multiple power ring hands. In issue number four, between the ding and dong of a doorbell, Flash sets the dinner table and makes supper just before his fiance walks in the door. Enhanced by by the smooth, expressive artwork, it's details like these that make these characters seem real. Who would have imagined that 40 years after the Justice League of America was first introduced, a series would come along that takes a new look at these old characters? 
the bad. The series is coming a decade too late. It's a shame that writers like Mark Wade and Brian Augustin weren't there to write Flash and Green Lantern back then and keep great characters like Barry Allen and Hal Jordan from becoming casualties of fan apathy. JLA Year One shows how much life these guys can have, and they've been dead for years. The Buzz, with a direct tie-in to DC's top 10 title JLA and backed by Wade's star power, this book is selling gangbusters, and it deserves every penny. JLA Year One is what we want to see in a super team title. If there is any justice in the world, this league would be more than a miniseries. The Grade... A plus. Wow, so those are some really interesting details that Mark Wade has considered about how these characters would behave. I keep running into JLA Year One issues. Not the first one, but a lot of later issues and back issue bids. I may have to grab some now because that sounds pretty fun. Now next up here is Daredevil. They say, not daring enough. So this is a run that was by Joe Kelly and Gene Colan and a bunch of other artists. But the what you need to know section is just Daredevil's, you know, origin story. But the good, top-notch characters drive this series. The likable Murdoch with his wry sense of humor and a host of problems fights crime on an urban scale you can relate to while trying to balance a personal life. Radio star Karen Page, Murdoch's girlfriend, comes across as a real woman you can care about. Murdoch's law partner Foggy Nelson provides comic relief while Rosalind Sharp, Murdoch's boss adds acerbic wit and antagonism into the picture. The heroine Black Widow, Murdoch's former lover, sets up an involving love triangle, which is full of uncertainty and tension. The use of Daredevil's powers is well done. In issue 369, trapped in a prison cell together, Black Widow communicates with Dee Dee by tapping her fingers together in Morse code so their captors can't overhear. Later, Black Widow slips him the jail key with a farewell kiss. In issue 372, Dee Dee has to concentrate to interpret his radar sense over the roar of the motorcycle he's riding, all throughout, Dee Dee's powers cleverly remind us of his blindness as well. In issue number 374, Murdoch uses his heightened sense of smell to discover blood in a room, but he has to concentrate to find it. While maintaining a hip writing style, the book slips in a lot of neat story points, especially in the use of cliffhangers like when Black Widow pops a cap in Dee Dee's chest in 368, which keeps you coming back for more. The Bad. Unfortunately, the inconsistent and sometimes plain shoddy artwork is a big turnoff. How could readers be expected to immerse themselves in a story which gives them a different look every other issue? Particularly glaring is the double-sized Daredevil 375, which features 11 different artists. Not only is it distracting, but it's downright confusing when an art style switches mid-scene. There are times the characters look completely different. Daredevil desperately needs better plotting. The setups are interesting. Black Widow and Dee Dee's rekindled romance, a serial killer on the loose. Mr. Fear lurking in the background, but there's no delivery. The plots run out of oomph midstream, and the endings are unsatisfactory. On top of all that, there are big holes in the story, so big that it seems like we're missing a whole issue between 374 and 375. What was the sequence of events leading up to Karen Page being accused of murder? What happened to the triple threat serial killer? Why did the Kingpin interfere in the trial? Maybe Marvel published a Daredevil 374 half and we missed it somehow? Either way, we're baffled going from one issue to the next. The Buzz. With a relaunch set for September, writer Kevin Smith and artist Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti come aboard Daredevil for at least six months, hopefully more. We're thinking these guys are blind to the book's current problems and should steer Daredevil back on course. Of course, that proves to be very true. The skinny, despite a wealth of entertaining characters, inconsistent art, and faulty plots, make for a less than desirable payoff. The grade, C+. But yeah, that's interesting because, you know, that Carl Kiesel run was actually really interesting, and I reviewed that, and I thought it was pretty cool 
cool. But yeah, it looks like they just totally lost their way at some point. Maybe because they knew that, you know, Daredevil was uh, going to be handled for Marvel Knights and Joe Kelly was now writing X-Men. So maybe he just didn't have that much attention placed on Daredevil while he finished up that assignment. Now, a character I thought was all but gone because he has not been appearing in Wizard for, I feel like, two years worth of issues, and that is Lobo. They say, this comic's a four-letter word. They're talking about issues number 43 through 50, written by Alan Grant and some artists uh, named Carl Critchlow, who I've never heard of. Says, what you need to know. Lobo is a killer alien bounty hunter who thrives on death and carnage, spreading his violence and bloodshed throughout the galaxy. Besides having super strength, he also has an insanely powerful healing factor. The good. There are some occasional funny moments. Paranoid Jones, who thinks everyone's after him, hires Lobo to kill, well, everybody, even issue 45. Paranoid later communicates with a headless but still living Lobo, there's that great healing factor, via Morse code on his arm. And in the midst of a restaurant brawl at issue 49, a customer exclaims, Waiter, there's a guy in my soup! the bad. Lobo is an extremely repetitive book. Lobo is an extremely repetitive book. Anyway, if you read one issue, you've read them all. Besides running the same joke into the ground within the same issue, like the Bruce Lee versus alien scenarios in number 46, or the chicken crossing the road jokes in 47, there's a very clear outline that each issue follows to a T. Here goes. Lobo's looking for something. Accidentally finds trouble. Fights in the obligatory carnage-laden massacre. Sees the obligatory destruction of Al's restaurant in the overblown ending where practically everyone but Lobo dies. Basically, the only difference between issues is the number on the front cover. To put it simply, the series is just plain tired. If you love ridiculously over-the-top super violence with less than zero substance, maybe Lobo's for you. Uh, especially Lobo number 50, where Lobo spends the entire issue massacring every DC superhero on Earth. Even worse, turns out the whole thing's a dream. But there are no real stories here, just one big brawl. Lobo's violent to the point of annoyance, just going for the big laugh. Heck, Pro Wrestling's got more of a story than this title. On top of all that, it's never even explained just who Lobo is, what exactly his powers are, etc. Even more bizarre, if Lobo's such a badass, why does he need to go around taking out bounty hunter jobs rather than just beating up people and stealing their money? Lobo's a hollow shell of a character that once had some charm as an occasional guest star. The buzz? Zero. The main man's keeping a profile so low that it's amazing he's lasted 50 issues. The skinny, after what seemed like we were reading the same Lobo issue over and over, we were left with just one wish, that this book is served to death only Lobo could dish out. The grade? F. I think this is the lowest grade they've ever given anything, like even though the scale's a little different now. But man, an F for Lobo. All right, finally here, Bone... A bona fide disappointment. Huh? All right, so this is issues 26 through 31. Let's find out what's going on here. So obviously, what you need to know, after being run out of Boneville, three bone cousins, phone bone, phony bone, and smiley bone, find themselves in a deep forest valley filled with bizarre creatures. Recently, phone bone and smiley set off to return a friendly rat creature cub to its home among the vicious rat creatures. The good. As always, the art is quite expressive. With a few simple lines, the art beautifully gets across a whole range of emotions, and the use of shadows works so perfectly that half the time you forget you're reading a black and white comic. Check out issue number 30 to see how well a dark cave is lit with a match. There's some legitimately funny moments in this title. Issue number 30 sees even the clueless rat creature cub suffering from Foambone's bad poetry recital, while number 31 has Smiley looking inside a rat creature's mouth to make sure his friends aren't in there. The bad. Where's the story? Sure, Bone is chock full of lighthearted moments, but 
that's it. Issues 26 to 27 contain some intriguing elements with the mystery surrounding the dragons and the girl named Thorn, but after that, the series switches gears to Phonebone and Smiley's adventure with the cub and the mountain cat, Rokja. What could have been told in one or two issues was stretched out to five. In fact, for the past two years, everything in this title has been stretched out, and we think we know why. It seems the stories are being written with the sole intent of packaging every five-plus issues into a collected edition. This setup means that Bone's being prepared for compilations at the expense of the stories, and that's unfortunate. The current Rokshaw storyline is the only tale being told in 28 to 31. What's up with the war that's back at the village, which acted as number 27's at Cliffhanger? What about the mystery surrounding the dragons, another burning mystery from the last couple story arcs? Cutting to these more interesting interludes would add some much-needed depth to 28 to 31. Issues 26 to 31 lack the drama that made this series a great read to begin with. There's no convincing threat of anyone getting seriously hurt or killed, like there was in Bone's first 12 issues or so. And there's the rat creatures, who were intensely scary when they first showed up years ago, but now have become a joke. It's becoming harder to invest in these characters when you don't believe they're in any real danger. The buzz. May sees the release of the newest hardcover collecting the entire Rokeshaw saga. The skinny. Bone was once the industry's most entertaining comic series. Unfortunately, with the dawn of collecting stories into hardcovers and paperbacks, this title appears to be formatted solely to be repackaged. The result? Drawn out, undramatic stories, which left us sorely disappointed. The grade? C minus. Now, I was not expecting that. I mean, everybody loves Bone. Now everyone talks about how great Bone is. The question I have is, were like the next 30 issues or however many followed, did they kind of wrap up the story and this is just like that lull in the middle? Because it feels like if it just drifted off or they never resolved anything, it would not be as revered as it is today. So if you're a huge Bone fan, when we post about this, you gotta reach out to us, let us know. Because yeah, I never made it past those first 12 issues or so, I was just like, nah, I mean, I kind of get the routine, and it sounds like Wizard was at that point, too. All right, well, let's wrap this thing up. Thanks so much for checking out this edition of Wizard's Half. Oh man, I just love getting into this stuff. I will tell you, the next edition of Wizard's Half is going to be even more chock full of stuff we didn't get to. Why? Well, episode 83 is something a little bit special, okay? So Michael is there. We have our former co-host Stephen Sapelis joining us, as well as returning guest William Bruce West. And to give you a little variety in your listening, to give Michael a little variety as a host, we decided to do something called Wizard Wildcard. Okay, this is a Wizard Wildcard episode, which means we are not going to be following the standard format of every episode that you're used to with the segments. Now, that's not to say that the segments aren't a part of this show, but it is going to be a little bit different, a little bit more loose. And so as a result, we don't get to cover everything. And so when we come back for 83.5, I will be saying, okay, well, here's what I would have put in the show notes to cover if I was in charge of this thing, which I am definitely not. So I just want to keep you posted on that. Also, uh, by the time that you are listening to this, we will have both recorded an interview with Joe Casey. Yes, that Joe Casey, who has written so many comics you love. But also, we will have had an interview with David Wool, the co-creator, co-writer of Witchblade. And so we are going to be covering the Witchblade special almost as like an interview with David Wool. That's going to be coming up in October for you as well. So 
The Wizard Files is back. We got a bonus episode for you. Lots of fun things to look out for. But speaking of bonuses, if you need more wizards, is that not enough? Then go on over to patreon.com forward slash wizards comics. We continue to have some great new patrons joining us every single week. And when you do that, you get the uncut version of the episode. In fact, one of our patrons joined as we were recording episode 83, just right at the beginning. So he got a shout out on the first uncut episode that he would ever listen to because we're like, hey, and that's only in the Patreon cut of the episode. Uh, but also you're getting the scan of the issue, which is most people when they call out, they're like, I'm just excited I can get an issue of Wizard to actually flip through these days. And speaking of more loose, free-flowing episodes, you also get our bonus podcast, 90s Super Cinema, where we are covering 90s comic book-related movies. So for October, right now, our poll keeps going back and forth. We had The Crow, we had The Return of Swamp Thing, we had Army of Darkness, which we basically consider a comic book film. Different versions of that keep getting stuck in a tie. So by the time, you know, you are subscribed in October, if you decide to join for just five bucks a month, you will be able to get that episode, whatever it ends up being, in all our past 90s super cinema. We just covered Blade in our newest run. So just want to keep you informed there. But of course, if you want to stay in touch with Wizards, you know where to find us. We're on X at Wizards comics on instagram at wizards underscore comics on blue sky at wizards comics if you want an invitation just dm us also we are on youtube of course so we have a lot of content that has been building over there over the years we're continuing to come up with new ideas things we want to put together for you but i know a superman top 10 covers video is in the works of course we also have our facebook group or one more perk for our patrons that i will mention yet again is that we have the slack app for the retro network which is just this constant conversation with people that are fascinated you know by stuff from our childhoods but we have our own room to discuss wizards and 90s comics what we're reading so our patrons just automatically get invited to go over there so in addition to our wizards conversations they can also participate in trivia nights and all the other fun things get the behind the scenes look at what's coming up on the retro network so so much going on in our universe i will tell you uh last thing just a little teaser for episode 83 there is a special announcement that happens at the end that does affect the future of the podcast Ooh, what could it be you'll have to tune in to find out but hey until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.